0: Welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittum, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. On today's episode, we have Holly Samuel, someone who I've known for a very long time, who does a great job, especially talking about nutrition, but she's certainly more than that. Before we get into it, though, I do want to give a shout out to our sponsor today. You can, you'll hear the ad later in the episode, but you can, it's the, um, it's the, the company that I trust with my uh, my nutrition on the run. I have done that for a long time. That's why I'm allowing them to sponsor these episodes. They're not sponsoring this episode. just because we're having someone talking about nutrition. They sponsor a lot of episodes basically every week here on the podcast. But with that being said, Holly, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. It's always good to talk to you.
0: Likewise. So I was on your show recently. So thank you for having me on your show. Before we get into it, how about you give a little plug for, for your podcast?
1: Yeah, honestly, one of the most successful episodes of the year so far. People loved that one. Um, yeah, they really liked that one. We did an episode on my podcast, which is the Hollyfield Nutrition Podcast, on basically like how to tell um, what running different paces is supposed to feel like off of effort, and also some of the science behind what it's actually supposed to do for your training too. Um, so like, am I actually running easy enough? I don't know. How? Are, what are some signs that I could be running easy enough versus what does half marathon pace feel like? So if you need more guidance there, Matt did a great job discussing that topic with me over on my show just a couple of weeks ago.
0: <laughs> well, you didn't need to do a promo about me. I
1: really appreciate
0: that. But you, you do, you cover a lot of ground on your podcast. It is really good. No surprise. Um, you're a true professional in the space. Not only are you a coach, but you're a registered dietitian who does... Does great work in informing people um, about a variety of different topics, and that's what we're going to talk about today. To talk about marathon nutrition to the season. We're three weeks out from Boston. In addition to that, Hey, it's the fall. I mean, say it's the fall. It's the spring. Good <laughs> degrees. I think my my common sense is back in the fall, evidently. It feels like the fall. Um, <laughs> well, we're here in the springtime, and even if people aren't running Boston, certainly most people who are listening to this aren't, but they may be preparing themselves for a different marathon in the spring. And I think that it's important to talk about these topics, not only for race day, but how to prepare for race day, how to prepare for our um, our long runs and our quality sessions, and what we can do to make sure that just the, the juggling of all of this stuff in preparation for race day. So, I guess there's a lot of topics to touch on. With that said, let's just talk about just the, the, what people can think about in training and in terms of training their body to ingest nutrition on the run and it's just how they can prepare themselves for this? I'm thinking the, the amateur runners who maybe are new to longer distances or the people who just have an aversion to taking gels for a variety of different reasons, why it's important to train themselves just in this process initially.
1: Yeah, first of all, I've been there. <laughs> um, so I totally get how it feels to not want to take something when you're running or to just Not know a lot about it um, and not even know if you're supposed to be doing it. I know a lot of the times the uh, mindset can be like, why would I eat when I'm running? Like, isn't that the point? Like, to be running so I can eat more after. Um, And I always encourage people that. You know, that's more of a restrictive mindset to be in if we are trying to perform our best on the run, whatever that looks like for you, um, You know wh- whether or not you consider yourself fast, slow, anything in between. Um, if you're trying to get the most out of yourself, if you're trying to just have a good experience um, and not get injured and be able to stick around a little bit longer in this sport, um, it becomes more and more important to feel your body properly. Um, and one of the ways to do that is by taking in carbohydrates and nutrition on the long runs. And when I say long run, I mean pretty much any run, like an hour or longer. um, That's when we start to see it become the most beneficial. Um, So a lot of people will counter that by saying, but I've run three hours before. I've run a whole marathon before, and I didn't take anything. Like I was fine. Um, And same, I've been there too. But you can feel even better, and you can perform even better, and have more longevity in this sport by feeling your body properly. So. I always encourage people to start small. Like our our GI system is, you know, something that has to be trained and can be trained, just like your legs can to run all the miles. <laughs> um, so if you kind of started your running career with a 20 miler, or you started training your gut by, you know, taking in eight gels, you know, over the course of three hours and a bunch of sports drink, like it might not go super well. <laughs> you know, you might have to train your way to get up there.
0: Um, and I'm trying to like do this conversation in a way that is um, applicable to a variety of people, even if they're not marathon training, and even if they're just like approaching running longer distances or more miles, even if they're thinking about it just as a way to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Right? Again, um, there's plenty of people who are out there who start their running journey like, hey, I want to get in better shape. I want to lose weight, and this is the way I want to do it. and I don't see anything wrong with that as long as your doctor is okay with it, and they, that's something that they prescribe. Um, sometimes we... I think there's been a trend recently, like not to talk about weight. Yeah. Right. But there's just certain people, like if again, and I I am one of those people who've who've run at various times in my life to lose weight because it was advised by my doctor, and that and that was totally fine. So when you have people who are like, all right, like like you mentioned before, but why do I want to eat on the run? Kind of, I'm trying to lose weight. Isn't that kind of the point of what I'm doing here? And I'm running in a way where like I'm not even going that fast. So I really need to be taking in sugar if I'm burning fat. Like, how does even from a non-marathon prep person, someone who's just running again to lose weight and think about, think about it in terms of fat burning, why even for those people would this be beneficial?
1: I love that you just like ripped the band-aid like right off. You're just like, let's talk about the topic that no one wants to talk about. And I love it because it's true. Like no one does talk about this, it seems, in the past few years in the running space. Um, And I've certainly had those thoughts myself. Like when I started my running career, you know, yeah, I I would see runners eating on the run and be like, why are they doing that? (laughs) Um, Like, doesn't that negate the purpose? And now that I have, you know, a career in helping people with this, I have a further understanding. So how I would approach that conversation is it depends on what our goals are. Like if our goals are to run and add in physical activity to lose some weight, you know, I do still think it's really important to make sure you're eating enough before, during, and after your training, um, especially during if your training is longer than an hour. Um, because if we don't, we're basically asking our body to start breaking itself down. And it's not going to be all from body fat like you want it to be. It can be from muscle. It can be that we're just not repairing the damage that we caused on that run um, if we don't give ourselves the nutrition and the materials, therefore, to support that recovery. Um, and then I would you know, kind of say, then you can kind of mess around with the rest of your nutrition farther away from your run later in the day after your body is done you know, being traumatized, <laughs> essentially. Um, because running is a very high-impact sport, it does take a lot of energy out of us. Um, so I would kind of come at it from that way, whether or not you want to lose weight and running is a piece of that. Um, I still think it's really important to make sure you're fueling before, during, and after your run super well, so that you're not putting your body in like a compromised position. Um, and then I would ask the person like, do you have performance related goals in your running? And a lot of the times when I talk to my clients, it's, I want to lose weight, I want to PR in the marathon, I want to qualify for Boston, I want to get stronger. And I'm like, that's all. Right, right.
0: The, the lose weight goal is never siloed. Like, no. it's never just the only goal.
1: Right, right. They're like, I maybe started running to lose weight, and then I fell in love with it. And now I'm listening to running podcasts on my daily run, right? Um. Also been there. <laughs> You're like, how did I get here? But, um, you know, you fall in love with the sport. So if you start to have some of these other goals, too, I kind of, you know, it depends on the individual, but I'll tell people like you might need to pick one to focus on at a time, um, because we can't be again depriving our body of nutrients intentionally for weight loss, which is what we need to do for for fat loss, and also be asking it to perform at a really high top level. Like that's just not going to be sustainable long term. Some people might get away with it for a couple races, but almost always they get injured, or they get burnt out, or they plateau.
0: Right. In addition to that, I think there's two things that are important here. And I know that you're well aware of these. So I'm just bringing these up basically for you to comment on them is the idea of like, Hey, like if you don't feel your runs, even if you don't have performance related goals, even if you don't process related goals, you're just not going to be able to run as far or for as long. Right? Like I, if I don't feel my runs properly, like I get lightheaded on the run. Like, I just do. That's just, that's always been an issue with me. It's an issue if I do, like, even yard work. Yeah. Do, like, I'm out in the yard for two hours doing yard work. And if I'm not, like, eating things, it, like, drives my wife crazy. She's like, wait, you take another break? I'm like, I'm literally getting lightheaded right now. I need to go have something. Um, like, you just have that experience. Also, just from a recovery perspective. Right? When you talk about this, again, this isn't about performance necessarily in terms of in-the-moment performance, but I think over a longer time horizon, it does fuel performance in the way that you're ready for the next run, and the day after that, and the day after that, and it does breed consistency.
1: Totally. Like, recovery and performance go hand-in-hand, hand. And, and that's what I tell a lot of my runners. A lot of my runners, and again, I've been there, myself included, like, you can get away with a lot not quite doing enough, um, so... A trap that I find a lot of people fall into is they'll kind of maybe not quite eat enough, not really fuel adequately, you know, do their training. Maybe their training's like going okay. Maybe they have some PRs, maybe they have some good races. And then eventually they just don't. (laughs) Eventually they're tired. They're not able to complete their workouts or they're getting injured all the time or they feel like they don't have that spark anymore when they go out the door. They're tired when they wake up, um, but then they can't sleep and they're just tired all the time. And then we start to have some of those like sneaky, subjective like symptoms come into play. Um, And a lot of the times the reaction is, oh, I must just need to do the things I was doing more. Like maybe I need to eat even less or I need to train even harder or I need to just like you know, slap myself awake in the morning because I used to be able to do this just fine. And a lot of the times it's it seems like it comes out of nowhere. Um, but what I tell people is it's not out of nowhere. A lot of the times it's accumulation of quite not giving your body quite enough or not quite doing the right thing for a long period of time. And eventually, you know, the body keeps score. It's kind of going to tell you when it needs a break and when it needs to stop. Um, And that's where, you know, if we're smart about, Fueling and always giving our body an abundance of nutrients and an abundance of what it needs, it should be responding to you by telling you, hey, I can actually do more. Like now I can do more training and I can get more out of my training because I'm actually recovering properly. And you're not just kind of like on a hamster wheel staying in place.
0: Right. And even the most efficient eaters on the run are not going to be able to take in more than they're burning. Right. In a lot of these cases, so even if you're thinking about things like caloric deficit, because that matters to you, because you're in a situation again where like losing weight is something that your doctor would advise, you're still in a caloric deficit at the end of a run, as any marathoner knows. Like you're never taking any more. Like this isn't cycling. Like your body is like bouncing up and down. So eating on the run can be very challenging, which is why we have. A limited product selection when it, when it comes to eating on the run yeah um, and so so you you are in a situation where you don't necessarily have to worry about that stuff all that much now i want i do want to talk about like that one hour mark and how that plays a part in terms of running experience and also maybe some other factors or other variables that could play a part in it right so like i know for like my own running there isn't a run that i i think five out of my six runs every week go longer than an hour Right. My normal easy run is about 75 minutes. And then my workouts are closer to 90 minutes. My long runs are usually over two hours. And I'm at this point completely used to doing a 75 minute run without food. Right. I might depending on like the heat, I might take water with me. But say it's like today in New England, you know, we're both in New England. We're not that far from each other. Like it's pretty cool today. Normally on a day like today, I wouldn't take water or fuel on an easy run. Right. So talk to me about like how running experience might play a part in terms of timing with taking in food uh, and how that relates to that one hour timeline you set up.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, the one hour, that's just what we find in research. Um, Lots of papers kind of cut off. Okay. It's officially like a long effort air quotes for those who can't see me um, after the hour mark. And that is because of what our body starts to do in order to keep us going at the same effort level. So Um, and what I always want to reiterate too, is like our bodies, like the calorie needs that they have, they don't just like reset to zero at midnight. Like, (laughs) um, you don't turn into a pumpkin, you know, at midnight. Um, it's something that if we kind of didn't do enough yesterday, like that absolutely still affects us today. If we didn't do enough today, that's accumulating to affect us the next day. Um, and, and you know, and so on and so forth. So um, you know, it's not quite as much of a black and white math equation as I think sometimes we want it to be. So let me, let me put that context in first, but.
0: And, and and let me also say, let me put, add to that. I normally run at eight o'clock after I drop my kids off at the bus stop. So like I'm eating a normal size breakfast at 630. So I'm not going into the run right. fasted or lacking breakfast. I'm having a substantial breakfast an hour and a half before my run. So maybe that also plays a part in that.
1: Yeah, that can definitely help, um. You know, it helps put it into context for me if I'm working with someone. Yeah, are they getting up at 3 30 in the morning to get their run started by four? And is it 90 minutes, you know, 75 minutes? Um, or are they, you know, someone who has to sometimes work out at eight o'clock at night and then also sometimes they have to wake up the next day and do a run in the morning? Like the timing definitely can help me understand where they're coming from. Um, so, what I would say, just knowing that, again, when we talk about training adaptations, a lot of the times, like we accumulate fatigue on purpose to gain fitness. And then hopefully we peak. And then if we're training for a race, we taper to kind of absorb some of that training and recover. Um, And then we get to race day with everything hopefully tied up in a little bow. So um, a lot of the times with nutrition, what I kind of put into context for people is, yes, like can you get away with a 75-minute easy run without taking in any fuel? Absolutely. Like people are doing that all the time. You know, it's something that your body... Maybe recovering okay enough from, maybe it doesn't totally need something during that 75 minutes. But if you did take a gel, it certainly wouldn't hurt you. (laughs) Um, Like it's something that, you know, your body might. Might use and maybe you recover a little bit faster from that recovery run, and that affects your abilities the next day to have a better workout. Um, you know, because what we take in during our long runs, it's not just about performance during that run. That can be a very like spot treatment type of mentality. It's also about, okay, how is this going to help the purpose of this run? If it's a recovery run, taking in some nutrition might help me recover faster on this recovery run <laughs> so that I can do my workout better the next day.
0: Yeah, that's a great point for sure. All right, let's talk about how we can cycle into um, adding more nutrition on the run um, over the course of a a marathon build, or not even over the course, right? There's some people who have already started their marathon build, right? Mm -hmm. I'm assuming if if we're doing one in the spring, Hopefully, you've already started. <laughs>
1: yeah, hopefully. Right?
0: So, if you're listening to this, again, these are evergreen episodes. So, some people might be listening to this two years from now and be thinking about this sort of thing. So, we shouldn't just talk sp- specifically in terms of, like, what's the date today and let's assign people um, their marching orders. But in terms of people getting used to taking fuel, taking specifically calories on the run, um, and you can you can put these into, like, solid calories versus liquid calories if you want, um, just introducing... This either as a a newer experience or someone who needs to really substantially increase the amount of calories that they need to take in?
1: Yeah. So, to kind of, I'll start with some numbers that, again, are like straight out of research papers, um, super dry, and then I'll try to visualize and put some of it into actual context. typically like what the recommendations are that appear to be beneficial is for a run that is between like one to two hours long which again that hour mark is kind of when we should start taking in nutrition because our body is starting to tap more into its glycogen stores which is stored carbohydrate um, for energy and then we're kind of starting to run out of that and that's why in an episode like the, or not an episode, in a a race experience like the marathon, you do have people like hitting the wall, quote unquote, around the two to three hour mark, uh, which is t- typically around mile sixteen to like twenty two for a lot of people, um, or even like the ten mile mark in a half marathoner who you know is taking over two hours to do a half marathon. Um, so we kind of have enough glycogen for around two hours. So that's why we, we need to start at that one hour range. Um, so what research papers say is if you're doing a run between 60 minutes long and like two hours, taking in between like 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate an hour is probably sufficient. Um, but if your runs are going to start to be over two hours long, That's where we kind of need to take in between sixty to one hundred and twenty grams of carbohydrate per hour, Um, and typically, if you can tolerate more carbs, to a point, more is better. Um, So, if you are able to kind of build up your your threshold tolerance, um, that can be helpful. And again, the only way to do that is to start gradually. So, like, what does that look like in terms of fueling? Um, If we think of like the typical runner fuel examples, it's usually like. Those gels or goos, um, or like, you know, honey stinger products, or Generation You Can, or Chews of some sort. So there's like a lot of different things we can use. A lot of the times, like one dose of whatever that is, so it's usually like one gel, or it could be like half a pack of chews. It depends on how big the package is. But um... I'm
0: I'm so against chews. I can't even <laughs> begin to tell you. We can talk about this at the end. I'm just like this. Like the juice is not worth the squeeze. Like one little ten, like ten calorie chew is not worth like the 600 bites it takes me, and then trying to fish all of the chews out of like my my. <laughs>
1: And the high high like the the Heimlich run. maneuver that you need on the side of the course because you're choking. Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: I mean, I love I love chewy food. I'm addicted to candy. Yeah. Uh, you can give me Starburst all day long. I can't eat it on the run. I just yeah. can't.
1: Yeah, no. If you can starts making chews, you'll have to drop them as a sponsor. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, I think the, the the serving size of most fuels it tends to be between like 20 and 30 grams of carbohydrate. So what typically works well for people is if we're taking one serving of something, whether it's a gel or you know however many chews the scratch or honey sticker packet or sports beans packet says to take. Um, We're taking one of those like every 30 to 40 minutes or so, um, starting at like the 30 to 40 minute mark of your run. And I say it in minutes because everyone's going to run different paces. So if I told a 10 minute miler every three miles, that's 30 minutes. Perfect. But if I told a 15 minute miler, you know, every three miles, that's 45 minutes. So that's, you know, probably getting a little bit too, too long. Um, So I always use minutes when I'm talking about that.
0: Yeah, I like that. that. That works well, especially from, especially from a, just a general guideline perspective. And now if you read the instructions on a lot of the gel products, yeah. it will tell you take this with water. Yeah, Can you talk about why that's necessary and if it's just like something that's something that's technical with the gel product or if it's just a matter of like it's easier to take this with water?
1: Yeah, I think to some degree that probably, like it probably is to get the stuff out of your teeth if you've got some fluids. But um, also, from a just absorption perspective, if it does say to take it with water, which most of them you should, except for like the Morton products or any isotonic product, which essentially has like the water mixed into it already somehow, um, you should take it with water. So, and that is because if we do have a very high concentration of carbohydrates, which if you look at like a goo, like they're pretty small, and that's like the the same amount of carbohydrates as a whole banana, right? So um, it's pretty concentrated, which is exactly what we need when we're running, because it would be a lot harder to eat a banana every 30 minutes. I mean, you could probably do it, but it'd probably be harder. Um, so taking it with water kind of helps dilute it a little bit. And it does help with gastric emptying and the ability for our bodies to absorb the carbohydrate and not have it just like sit as a sugar pit in your stomach. Um, so actually, one of the biggest um, reasons why I see runners end up with GI distress, a lot of the times they think, oh, it's the gels, it's the sugar or whatever. It's usually not. It's usually that there's not a proper hydration strategy in place. Maybe they're taking the gels without water or they're taking the gels with water, but they don't have enough electrolytes in their fuel plan. And that is what is kind of messing with their body's ability to tolerate the fuel.
0: Yeah, this was interesting because I didn't realize the scientific reason for this before. I always assumed it was like, hey, this you know these might taste bad, but you taste them with take them with water; it'll, they'll go down easier, right? Yeah. And that was I don't know why I just assumed that that was the case or why <laughs> they were saying that, but what I heard on a different podcast them explain the science behind it. I was like, oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. I can I'm, I'm picturing myself on the run having a gel and not doing that. And in respect to being like, oh, I should have, like, the directions are right there. And I read the directions. Why didn't I follow this? And I just, I just assumed that there wasn't, like, um, some sort of negative consequence in terms of, like, the actual absorption of what the, what the whole point of what I'm doing here is. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's like oh, my God. It's like having a sponge and just throwing, like, like, when do the dishes? Putting, like, the soap on the sponge and then not getting the sponge wet. It's like, well, the soap's not doing anything. It's just sitting there. It's
1: a great analogy. Exactly. Exactly. And like, I think that's why a lot of, um, products that have sugar in them as the carbohydrate, which is a simply digested, easily digested carbohydrate. That's why sugar is used. It's been very well researched. That's why it is effective. Um, it's not, you know, a lot of the times I think that's why that's gotten a bad rap. People say it's all the sugar. That's what's causing the GI distress. It's probably not. It's probably that they didn't read the instructions, (laughs) um, or they didn't have a good hydration strategy in place. So their body couldn't yeah, tolerate it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think that's also ties into the fact that we don't have to get too much into the science here, unless you want to, unless you think it's it's relevant. That you have products that have different carbohydrates as mm. their their base element here, right? So you have like the fructose or the malodextrin, or you have you know with can you have like the, the their super starch product. Something they call it super starch anymore, but that that kind of thing. Um, so you have these different kinds of elements within it um again i i prefer you can and first it basically for me it's a like it's more liquidy it just it tastes better it goes down easier and i've been able to take a variety of different gels but for me it's like it just tastes better and it goes it feels like a liquid gel more than like a solid gel so i really like the texture Mm -hmm. more than that um But when people are thinking about this sort of thing, should they dive really deep into the kind of carbohydrate is being used or is that something that's just a matter of, um, hey, you just have to try them all and see what works?
1: Yeah, I know, I think it's super relevant. So typically, um, how do I wanna put this? Carbohydrates, like you said, there's fructose, there's glucose, there's like maltodextrin and starches. Like Those are kind of like the categories of carbohydrate. what we've seen in research, especially a paper that came out recently showing that if you can tolerate up to 120 grams of carbohydrate per hour, that would really be good for you <laughs> um, for like someone who wants to perform well in something like the marathon or the ultra marathon or like an Iron Man or something like that. Um, these like really long events. Um, but the whole kind of math equation, mental g- gymnastics that we have to go through is how do I get my body to tolerate 120 grams of carbohydrate per hour? The answer to that is one, we need to train our gut. We need to start you know, where we are and work up from there and do it gradually. Two, we need to have a good hydration strategy so that when we put carbohydrates into our body, they get absorbed. Um, and three, we can use a little bit of all of those different types of carbohydrate Because they do use different pathways from each other to basically get absorbed. So it kind of increases the chances of you tolerating it well. And I always like to use, you'll appreciate this, I hope, because you're in New England. I always like to use the example of like the Gillette Stadium. Like, man, traffic getting into that stadium can be horrible because there's like one little road. That would be like using one type of carbohydrate in your fuel plan like people aren't going to get into that stadium super quickly compared to a stadium that's in like a huge city where there's like highways and a lot of infrastructure around it and hopefully less traffic it's basically like opening up more lanes um for your carbohydrates to get through which makes it a bit more of an efficient process so like you can use a starch based formula you know really great way to get in carbohydrates we're not going to tolerate a ton of starch all at once which is why some of their products do say to take them less frequently. So if you were to follow their instructions and only use like you can Edge every 45 minutes to an hour, like it says, you're not going to be meeting the 16 to 90 grams of carbohydrate recommendation that I just talked about. And even though it does digest more slowly, which is helpful, um, it's still not going to be enough to keep glycogen stores topped off during something like a marathon or an ultra marathon. So what can be helpful is incorporating, which I've talked to you can about, like other fuels into your fuel plan between products that have other types of carbohydrate to help build up how much you can take and toleration, of course. Um, And what's really cool about a lot of sports nutrition products now is that they know that a certain ratio of those different carbohydrates to each other is helpful to include in a product. So they've been engineering them that way for years now. Um, So if you were to, again, like just take a banana every thirty minutes. You're really just going to be getting a bunch of fructose, you know, into your fuel plan, and eventually, you're probably not going to tolerate only fructose. Um, but if we use something like, you know, a goo or a huma gel that have a couple different types of carbohydrate in them, you might tolerate it a little bit better.
0: Now, what about I'm, I'm, I can like hear people like in my like in my subconscious <laughs> being like people who like legitimately have fickle stomachs, right? Yeah. This isn't a matter of like, I just, it's, this, isn't, this isn't a hydration issue. This is not a water issue or an electrolyte issue. I just have a fickle stomach. Taking these is really difficult. When I have, when I finally find one that works for me, I need to stick with it. Because mm-hmm. if I don't, I know what's going to happen. Are those people like, all of a sudden, like, should they feel like they, um... You know, are also in, in a big problem here because they can't have these multiple pathway systems, or are they still good to go?
1: I would say it would be in their best interest to use a fuel that they know they tolerate well and helps them meet their needs. Like I always want to pe- meet people where they're at. I mean, I work with people who have Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, all different types of GI issues. Um, that you know, we can really make their fuel plan a lot more robust with tricks and tips and tweaks and uh, troubleshooting along the way um, so sometimes it does have to do with their hydration strategy like maybe they're meeting like the generic recommendations okay but maybe their individual bodies need more than that and we need to do some sort of testing to figure out what they actually need by using like um, like a sweat composition test or you know doing a sweat test or something like that um, and or you know if someone's like, Hey, I have a really finicky stomach and I tolerate this product super well. Like, I just need you to help me figure out how to keep building off of that. Like, I'm not gonna fix it if it's not broken. Like if they like a certain product and it's working well enough for them, like, yeah, we should keep that. Um, you know, I, I think I think one of the biggest um things with like fuel plans is if people believe something. Works well for them, then they're more likely to tolerate it. (laughs) So, um, you know, if someone's really afraid to take a certain product, even them working themselves up about it can cause GI distress. So, you know, again, I want to try and make people feel more comfortable around fueling and have more flexibility with it, which is my hope for people that their guts are just in pretty good shape and they can tolerate a lot of things and not have to worry about it, you know, a ton, and just can do stuff based off of like preference, um but if people are, you know, picky or if their guts are a little bit finicky, yeah, there's definitely ways to to make sure we're working with that.
0: Yeah, let's talk about actually taking in the gels on the run. So I'm thinking about someone who's during a race, right? So they hit like that at 30 minute mark, or say they're really efficient with their their gels, they're at their 20 minute mark, and they can actually take them every 20 minutes, and it actually works for them, and it's not too much on their system. Um, and the race isn't so long that's not like 20 minutes for like 24 hours. It's like oh my god, this person just had 75 gels, right, or something like that. <laughs> um, so they're in that situation, but all of a sudden, like they're on like a huge incline right? So they're like, Oh my God, like I'm like sucking air right now. I can't be taking a gel. Like I can barely, like, I'm having a hard enough bre- time breathing as it is. Never mind trying to eat on the run and then also be breathing up this hill. Talk to me, obviously you have the windows, like this is when it's yeah. conducive to take the gel when it comes to actually doing it in practice in a race scenario. And there's these other factors as well that can potentially play a part. Talk to me how you, you walk your clients through that to that situation.
1: Yeah, I have actually a whole not to plug myself, but I have a whole podcast episode on what to do if your fuel plan doesn't go to plan. <laughs> um, because I've heard lots of things. Um, I dropped my fuel, or the course was a trail race and I had no idea and it took way more out of me than I was anticipating, or they used a different size cup at the Berlin Marathon than I thought. So I was taking the same amount of cups you told me to take, but it was four times as much fluid. So, um, Kind of have a lot of ways to help troubleshoot that, but I mean, fr- from like flexibility perspective, I would say one, it's helpful to like know your race course, like be aware if there are any very significant inclines about where they are, so that you can fuel plan accordingly. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're taking, you know, if you're in a race and your you know watch is beeping at you, or you're just looking at the time and you're like, oh, it's time to fuel, but I'm currently in the middle of Heartbreak Hill, like. You know, you can either slow down and take the gel, or you can just wait until you're at the top of the hill and recover it a little bit more, and you're breathing, you know, and take it on the decline. But I always tell my runners, like again, know your race course, and also we should be practicing simulating this in training. So, for example, um, I'm working with a couple runners, and I myself, hopefully, if I can stay healthy after Boston this year, am running um, the Mount Washington Road Race. And-
0: I'm so jealous. I (laughs) want to do that so bad. We had like a crisis in our house, the week of registration. I forgot to put my name in. It was like the highlight of my year was going to be doing that race. I wanted to do it so desperately. Then I missed like the the six day registration window. And I figured it out after the fact. Because in in our house, it was during during February vacation in our house. I had one child got lice and one child got COVID. It was a disaster in the Chittum house. And I completely missed the window after I was like, oh my gosh, how did I miss? Anyway.
1: Yeah, I love
0: that. Less about me. I just want to express my sincere jealousy for the fact that you're running this
1: race. Awesome. I'll think of you when I'm like dying halfway up the, the, the one hill, quote unquote, that they talk about. So like for that race, like, yeah, we better get comfortable taking gels while running up a hill because- the whole thing is a hill, right? Um, you know, especially for people where it's going to take them well over an hour. You know, everyone probably to run up that that road. So, I mean, I say simulate your course too in training if you can. So, like if you're planning to take your gels running a marathon pace in your marathon, but you only ever practice taking them during your easy runs in your training, it's probably going to be harder to get them down when you're running faster, just like it would to be going up a hill. So you need to practice that in training, even though it's super uncomfortable. <laughs>
0: That's a great point. You let me right into that perfectly. It's (laughs) almost like you have your own podcast. It's like having those marathon slash moderate or half marathon efforts on your long run. Like what a perfect place to practice this.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that three by three miles, you better not be taking it during your breaks. You better be taking it during the three miles that are hard, Um, you know, in a workout that's like marathon specific, which stinks. Like it's not fun to do, but it gives you confidence.
0: (laughs) All right. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll get right back to it. Hey, everybody, are you tired of the spike and crash and GI distress that comes with sugar-based sports nutrition? It's time to try UCAN. If you are, even if you aren't, (laughs) I'd be honest with you, I'm such a big UCAN fan because UCAN utilizes steady-release carbs instead of sugar so you don't feel the highs and the lows in your energy. I have noticed this really, like, You know, for me, I love to use, take two scoops of you can before my long runs. One scoop if it's like a kind of a medium long run. Uh, Also, I love the edge energy gels as well. For me, I just don't have to worry about nutrition on the run, and it's just its so nice to not have to worry about this sort of thing. You know, it's like some crazy, you know, especially if you're going through some some crazy stressful times, just knock one thing off the list. But things you don't have to worry about certainly is helpful, and it's not just amateurs like me. Top marathon runners in the U.S. like Emily Sisson, Sarah Hall, Emma Bates, Meb Kofleski, and now Kira D'Amato all rely on UCAN to fuel their training and their recovery. You can't award-winning Edge Energy gels last longer than other gels and it provides a more consistent feeling of energy. They aren't too thick or sweet and don't have to chase them down with water. Uh, for me I love them cuz they're more like they're more liquidy than other gels. You just don't have that aftertaste as well, which is really really nice. And finally, you got to try the bars. The bars are unbelievable. They're like chocolate, you get the chocolate peanut butter frankly they just taste like candy bars they're fantastic especially if you're going like on an early morning run like you wake up you want to have something and you want to hit the hit the road i that's the spot for me with those things and um you know unless i want to just use them for snacks because they're just so darn tasty I mean, really they just taste like candy bars and they're absolutely fantastic you can try the full variety of ucan products at ucan.co that's u c a n ucan UCAN.co. Co and you can save 20% on your entire order by using code Rambling. Not only do you save 20%, but it also helps out the podcast. So go to UCAN.co today and use code Rambling to save 20% on your offer. And not even that. It's like just getting used to tearing these packages open. Some of these packages are tricky, even in the best situations. And then say you're like running and it's a little bit colder, your hands start to get a little numb, like, it, like, getting these open on the run, when you're putting out a solid effort, sometimes it can, can require a little bit of work, and, like, even, even if, like, your stomach is fine, I could feel like, my, my fueling plan can be derailed, again, by that sort of thing, because you think about someone drops their gel, it's not merely because, like, oh, I was fiddling with my waist belt, and it popped out, it's, like, I can imagine someone, like, being, like, oh, screw it, I'm gonna, tear open with my teeth and like all of a sudden it's like adios amigo, like it's it's back it's back down the road. And I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had cold hands and been unable to open up my gel.
1: Same, you, you mentioned chews. The day I vowed to stop taking chews for my race plan, I was at mile 20 of the Philadelphia Marathon in 2017. I couldn't get my Sour Patch Kids open because my hands were numb. I finally got them open. They went everywhere. And like the two that I salvaged were frozen. So I couldn't even <laughs> chew them. And I was like, this is I'm not doing this anymore.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's 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 really tough. Again, it's funny because like I'll be there and um, it, it, when it hits me, it's like say I'm feeling on like a, a trail run. or I'm just like kind of like bumping around or, you know, it's just an just a longer, easy run. So I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Like right. I don't have a race coming up, I'll just like stop and take my gel. Right. i not stop. I'll stop to open it. I'll just like I'll stop moving, open it, and I'll keep going. Right mm-hmm. again, time. Who cares about the time? And every time I do that, I'm like, what am I doing? Like mm-hmm. practicing opening this is like something I need to practice. Like this is this is a legitimate skill yeah. that is like part of getting ready for my marathon that like I never even think about but as I'm doing I'm like oh yeah I I better be ready to do this
1: yeah and I also tell people to think about yeah where are you gonna put it where are you gonna carry it like try to mimic that best you can in training for race day so that you know like I've had people before try to put it in like a koala clip thing that goes on their back but then they like can't get it out when they're running fast so I'm like maybe we don't put it there you know during our race maybe we try a different strategy because it can be Yeah, it's a whole skill that we have to learn. And again, if you're like, I'm not racing, yeah, you can stop. You can take your gel at a walk. You can take some chews because you don't care about, you know, choking on them while you're trying to run fast. But if you do have a race, you know, you want to try and and mimic it as best you can.
0: Are there whole food products that you recommend people trying if they just have just just an overall general aversion to gels?
1: Yeah, I always say, like the banana example, like we can absolutely meet our carbohydrate needs through whole foods. It is a lot harder because they're not super concentrated. So you're going to have to take in more and you're going to have to figure out how to carry it. Um, So I know a lot of the times, and they're not genetic, like they're not engineered to have several different types of carbohydrates in them because it's a whole food, like it's not a sports nutrition product. Taking in 120 grams of carbohydrate when you're running as fast as you can for 26.2 miles is not intuitive. Like it's not something we were all just like born to do, right? Like we have to train and we have to like make it happen. So there's like specific tools that we can use to make us the best that we can be. So again, like whole food may not be the best thing to use in that scenario, but there are ways to do it. Like I've had people use like bananas or dates, uh, pretzels, goldfish, um, applesauce pouches, um, mashed potatoes, like tons of things. And I think using whole food tends to be really, really helpful. If you have like a event that's going to be like over six hours long, like a, like an ultra race or an Iron Man, or even if you're a marathoner and you're running over six hours, that's where building in a bit more complexity in what you're having can be helpful. Because, like you said, otherwise you're taking like 75 gels, and that's just like not fun <laughs> for anyone, um, and maybe not super realistic. So you can definitely use it, but it may not be the path of least resistance, um, like people think it's going to be, just because it's quote unquote natural. There are gels that have again been sports nutrition engineered to be tolerated well that use whole food ingredients. Um those are some of my favorites to recommend because they do tend to taste like real food because they are real food. Um and they tend to be tolerated pretty well because they're made of whole food but they're also like engineered to be tolerated well. Um so that could be like Spring um, or Huma, um, there's a, I think Muir, there's a couple brands out there that use um, Whole Foods in their products.
0: Yeah. And I'm also thinking about just like being on the easy run and taking in some calories because, you know, like for me, I only use gels. Again, I use the, the UCAN energy gels. For me, those are the ones that work best uh, just for my palate. I, do, I love those things. But at the same time, they are an expense.
1: Yeah, right? right. So for
0: me, like I part of the reason I use them on my um harder workouts or my long run, but not on all my runs. Part of the reason isn't really because like there are times where I feel like, oh, I don't need it on my normal easy run. But the other part is like if I use if I use these all the time, like I'd be paying for it again arm and a leg all the time, but I'm not necessarily into that. Yeah. Like buying twenty gels a week it doesn't something something that fits me perfectly well. Right. I'm probably better off for me just buying like on, if I had to average it out, like three to five gels a week probably works better for my own budget. And I think most people would agree with that because these aren't super, these are super expensive. Like some of the ones you just mentioned, the real food gels, I've seen some of those at like $4.50 a gel. Mm-hmm. It's like, that is yeah. pretty many. So if someone was like, okay, like I get it, I totally get it, but they're like me and they're like, all right, but I, I can't be taking these gels on every run just from a financial perspective, right? So help me out. Help me save some dollars, Holly Samuel. I'm going on my Monday run. I'm running for 75 to 80 minutes easy. I want to take something at the 45 minute mark. What should I be taking?
1: Yeah. So that's something you can do. And and the more, um, well-trained you get in fueling your long runs well, the more flexible you can be with your fuel plan. Cause you're like, I can tolerate anything, like give it all to me. So yeah, that's where I could say, yeah, maybe you're bringing in like, you're bringing pretzels and you're taking like six mini pretzels every 20 minutes. And that's something that you're using. And then you're also taking like an applesauce pouch with you. So you can make the math work in Whole Foods. It just takes a little bit of looking at the doses and what's realistic for you to actually take. If you're looking at like 30 gram dose of pretzels and you're like, yeah, I'm not going to take 23 mini pretzels, like, you know, at mile three, you you could space it out a little bit more and take, take them more frequently. I kind of, Tell people to picture like Pac Man, like you're just like, <laughs> you know, mount, 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 like on on little bites, um, every mile or so. So that's definitely something that people can do. Um, and yeah, same thing. Like if you're like, I really like you can or Morton, that's an expensive one or Huma or something, and I'm gonna use that for like my key long runs to make sure I tolerate it well and I know what I'm gonna do for my race. But then during some of your other runs. Yeah, you're like cutting corners and, and using cheaper fuel. I think that's that's like a great place to get to when you can do that.
0: I love that. All right. We got to get going because I gotta you know, pick up my kids from school. Mm-hmm. It's 2.48. School, school's about to I was end. just going to point um, at my watch. There <laughs> you go. Know? All right. No, I really love this. And I guess the last thing I'll say is eating the whole foods on the easy day, also a great way of managing effort. Mm-hmm. there's no way to run your easy run too hard if you're doing the pac-man with real food right? so true. you're, just, you're not going to be able to do that nope
1: nope you're going to be choking and it's not going to go well
0: <laughs> that's for sure all right holly if people want to learn more about you the services that you provide the content you're putting out all that stuff where should they go
1: yeah, I am on all the social medias. Um, Instagram probably most active. I am um, Holly Fueled Nutrition, and Holly is spelled H-O-L-L-E-Y. Um, my website is HollyFueledNutrition.com, and yeah, we've got monthly master classes. We've got our own podcast. We've got coaching and everything in between. So yeah, come come check me out.
0: I love it. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Also, big shout out to UCAN, the sponsor for today's episode. Sponsor for every episode that comes out on Monday or Tuesday, every single week here on the Rambling Runner podcast. You can use code Rambling to save 20% at UCAN.co for all of their products. Thank you so much for listening, and happy running.